Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our health care system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our health care system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better health care system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the DrScore.com physician rating website. The standard medical care system in the United States gives us all kinds of miracle drugs and uh, that have risks, of course. A lot of people are interested in alternatives to, to the standard medications that are out there. Uh, complementary treatments, alternative treatments, things that aren't what are commonly considered drugs. Are these things safe? Do they really work? To speak to us about this, we have Dr. Sarah Taylor. She's a board-certified family physician with a special interest in complementary and alternative medicine, and she writes a column on complementary and alternative medicine for the journal Skin and Aging. Welcome to the program, Dr. Taylor. Thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. So (laughs) tell me, what is complementary and alternative medicine? Well, when when people use the term complementary and alternative medicine, what they're really referring to are practices that are not typically used in conventional Western or allopathic medicine. So it could be something like um, yoga, some kind of... um, you know, mind-body uh, techniques such as meditation or it could be herbs and supplements that are used in addition to conventional medicine or solely replacing a conventional practice. Is, is this very common? Very common and becoming more so. In, in fact, the National Health Interview Survey from 2007, which is really the definitive source of information on health of the civilian non-institutionalized population, studies over tens of thousands of people yearly on their health behaviors and feelings um, and practices found that 40%, almost 40% of United States adults have used some some form of CAM. So that number is is increasing. The first study done in 2002 that included questions on CAM had about 35% of the population. So um, it's already up to nearly 40% as of 2007, and I'm sure it's going to be even higher with the next survey, which should be out in January. I'm sure it's already higher. I don't trust mm-hmm. these surveys. I, I, my guess is that people uh, underreport what they're doing. I think so too, because I think a lot of people. Uh, don't feel comfortable sharing that information, not only with their doctors, but with um, people that they even know or or even a United States Census Bureau person who's the one that's calling to conduct this study. They probably don't want to admit to some of the things that they've tried. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, I specialize in dermatology and, uh, you know, our patients are constantly coming in saying, Doc, I don't know why it's not getting better. I've put everything on it. And, you <laughs> yeah. know, they're, it, it's what is the attraction? I think people want to 
try something that they feel is not going to harm them in any way. And I think that there's a perception out there that if something is natural, it is better, which I don't think is necessarily the case because there's a lot of things that are natural that aren't better, like um, poison ivy is natural. <laughs> and it's it's not a good thing <laughs> to have. Or, you know, snakes are natural, <laughs> and, they're, and they're not necessarily um, safe. And so I think that people want to try to make themselves better using things that they think are safe, um, especially if it comes from the ground. They think that a plant is probably safe. For instance, um, breaking open an aloe leaf from a household plant, an aloe plant, and rubbing it on a cut instead of maybe applying um, an antibacterial ointment that you could buy. Um, think it's from the plant, so it must be better. Well, I may be a, a bit of a troglodyte when it comes to this sort of stuff, but, um, you know, the idea of putting um, the thousands of chemicals that must be in that aloe plant on the skin strikes me as being a whole lot more risky than um, right. using one chemically defined substance that has been rigorously tested using scientific mm-hmm. methodologies. Okay, but then, you know, that's just me. So. I- I agree with that. (laughs) I want to talk about the safety, you know, what's known about the safety and effectiveness of these things. But just first, can you, you know, describe in in more detail um, some of these different um, forms of uh, complementary and alternative medicine or CAM, as we'll call them? Sure. Yeah. And, And again, there's no set definition, but probably... The most uh, well-respected definition, or not definitions, rather categories, are from the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine, NCAM, which is the lead agency that funds scientific research for CAM. And their categories are in five main groups. Uh, the first is whole medical systems, such as Ayurvedic medicine or homeopathy. Second category, mind-body medicine, uh, meditation, prayer, relaxation techniques. Third category, biologically-based practices. That includes all of the the herbs and the dietary supplements. Uh, Fourth category, manipulative and body-based practices, which encompass a whole range and spectrum of movement therapies uh, from you know, Pilates to the Alexander Technique to uh, all kinds of other things. And then finally, energy medicine, things like healing touch, Reiki, magnet therapy. Those are the main categories. And then there's sort of a miscellaneous category, things that don't really fit into any of the above. All right. So of these many, many different things that are used, um, are, there, are there any for which there's uh, real good evidence? Yes, actually, probably the two, uh, I would call the modalities that have the best evidence would be acupuncture and hypnosis. Really? And those, yeah, those would be in the um, mind-body medicine and, um, you know, manipulative um, practice. categories. And again, there's overlap in these categories, but acupuncture in particular has really come into its own as being accepted almost almost more in a mainstream sort of way, where it hadn't been probably 20 years ago. And I think hypnosis has quite a bit of good data, especially in the primary care field, especially uh, smoking cessation 
in particular comes to mind. But there really, overall, there is a lack. There's a lack of scientific data. The, the trials are just not there. Um, the quality of the trials that are available are, are pretty poor. Let's talk about these two that, that, that seem to have some evidence. Acupuncture, what's it good for? Acupuncture has been studied in a lot of different um, illnesses and ailments. And uh, if you do a quick PubMed search, um, you'll find uh, quite a lot of uh, good information there. But probably a PubMed pub search, you know, uh, just for our audience, because they may not have heard of PubMed search. We've we've talked to, uh, on the show to um, folks yeah. from the National Library of Medicine, and and this is okay. a, a great way to look up medical articles. Um, Medline and, Plus. Um, yeah, maybe I can put a link to it on our website for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, like Medline Plus. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, acupuncture has shown the most data for musculoskeletal ailments, uh, especially uh, chronic pain, um, neck pain, back pain. Well, those are major issues that a lot of people have mm-hmm. trouble with uh, mm-hmm. in conventional. I guess we'll we'll distinguish complementary and alternative medicine from conventional therapies. Conventional sure. therapies uh, have their limitation when it comes to neck and back pain. I think so. I think the conventional teaching um, is that you do some non-steroidal anti-inflammatories that are scheduled. You maybe get some narcotic pain medications. A lot of practitioners do, conventional practitioners, practitioners do prescribe that as well as muscle relaxants and Maybe some physical therapy is prescribed, but a lot of times that falls short for people, especially people who've maybe uh, been in accidents, car accidents, motorcycle accidents, and have chronic pain issues. Acupuncture um, has been shown to be very effective mm-hmm. in clinical trials. And also another really exciting uh, effect of acupuncture in a good way is with headaches. I was about tension, to ask you about migraines. Yeah, tension type and migraine headaches. Uh, I personally had acupuncture. I suffer from migraine headaches. I've had acupuncture probably a dozen times. Did you? And it helped? It does help. And also what helps for me conventionally is sumatriptan, which has tons of data behind it. That the yeah. triptans will, will abort a migraine, and they certainly do, but they don't come without side effects, especially cardiac. And yet there's a risk of like a sudden cardiac death with any triptan. So um, an alternative treatment such as acupuncture is very attractive. Plus, it's very relaxing. I was going to say, do you think it's just the the emotional benefit of the warmth and friendliness and the caring touch of another individual giving you the acupuncture? Mm-hmm. Or is it something about having needles stuck in you that really does change something? <laughs> I think it's probably both. I mean, I have to say, if, you, if you've if you ever, I don't know, Dr. Feldman, if you've ever had an alternative treatment or, or gone into a, an uh, office setting that is aimed at convention, or non-conventional treatments, but it is typically complete opposite of our regular medical offices that we think of. I mean, it's usually low lighting, um, uh, candles, soothing voices. So I think there is something to that. Energy crystals. Energy crystals. <laughs> right. Take your, your shoes off at the door. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I would not be comfortable there. Okay. Right, no. <laughs> um, now, hip, hypnosis. It, it, it really helps people stop smoking, huh? Yeah, it does. The evidence is, is, is pretty strong for that. 
and there's there's uh, no harm in it. Some insurance plans even cover it. Okay, now here's the deal. No pain, no gain. How can we presume that something that actually does cause physiologic benefit in some way doesn't also cause harm? That's a that is a good question because I don't think I don't think that we do know for sure. I guess we just perceive that if well, it's all natural, so there's can't how can we it be feel harmful? right? But if we and if we feel better and don't feel any worse, <laughs> I'm sure that we perceive that it it is of no harm. But again, I think that that is the um, the big question is just because it is is natural is necessarily safe and and not necessarily so. All right. Anything else people use hypnosis for? I remember hearing about warts, trying to get rid of warts with hypnosis. It's, I, I have no good treatments for warts, so I have no objection to trying uh, hypnosis. Yeah. I think there might be a case report or two. I I would say, you know, if someone wants to try it for their warts, I say go for it. But I don't suspect that it will probably produce dramatic results unless maybe with a number of treatments you could change your whole power of thinking to to will that work to go away. I don't know. I've never I've never personally tried that and I haven't seen much data on that. Yeah, what is it the patients say they went and somebody rubbed a potato on it and buried the buried it in the ground and the wart went away. I, I've heard you, about that. I've yeah. heard, I also had a patient come to me with a banana peel strapped to their uh, foot how one far, time. So. Right. <laughs> how far that is from hypnosis, uh, I don't know. Maybe yeah. <laughs> there's maybe more science to hypnosis than uh, I realize. <laughs> That's true. Well, you're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. We're speaking today with Dr. Sarah Taylor. She's a board-certified family physician with a special interest in complementary and alternative medicine. And she writes an article. Uh, she has a, a column on complementary and alternative medicine in the journal Skin and Aging. Well, let's talk about some of the other um, complementary treatments that are out there that that are uh, you hear a lot about, but that um, maybe the evidence isn't quite so strong for. Um, uh what am I thinking of? St. John's wort. Is that alternative or is that traditional therapy now? You know, that's a great example. I think St. John's wort is probably considered more uh, mainstream now because it has shown to be effective in treating mild depression. Uh, some studies say mild to moderate, but the, the majority are mild depression. Um, however, you have to be careful of St. John's wort because it interacts with so many medications. So it can be tricky to uh, use that. You really, people really need to tell their their doctors if they're trying some of these things. And probably, if they're trying any of these things, it's probably any a good idea things. to tell their <laughs> right. doctor. Yeah, you know, um, I think this is a, a good example of the no gain and uh, no pain, no gain phenomenon. That you know, yeah, if you do find something natural that works, mm-hmm. uh, it's probably going to have issues as well. That's right. That's right. Another example of something that's very popular and we hear a lot about is homeopathy, where you take minute doses of a substance with the idea of causing symptoms similar to the disease you're trying to treat. That's very common. Um, You go into Whole Foods uh, supermarket and you will find a whole shelf of homeopathic remedies for anything you can think of. But a lot of people use them for allergies or colds. And, in fact, I, I just 
heard on TV that some adults are turning to that instead of the flu vaccine, which I think is a little bit concerning because there are, there's no evidence really for that. And I think homeopathy is a good example of um, a decent amount of trials, but none of them have really shown that there's anything more to it than placebo effect or, or more, or more um, effective than placebo, rather. You know, homeopathy, I mean, I, I, I didn't come to a career in medicine through psychology or sociology. I came from a chemistry and physics pathway. Mm-hmm. And, and this concept of homeopathy where you take some chemical and you mm-hmm. dilute it down to where there can't possibly be even one molecule of the original chemical left. Right. Having any possible benefit just seems utterly ridiculous to me. I agree. I have never understood, really, the draw to homeopathy. All right. And well, I, so. Yeah, I, I think if, if we're going to talk about homeopathy, we're probably going to need to talk about it on another show with somebody yeah, I can true. argue with. <laughs> All right. True. How, how about ginkgo? I, I don't know what ginkgo is, but I hear, hear it come up an awful lot. <laughs> you know, ginkgo is, I think that's a mainstream word now, and it's purported to help with memory. But I think ginkgo and I'd like to add in echinacea, I think, are household words mm-hmm. now. Um, ginkgo for memory, echinacea for fighting off the common cold. Neither have been shown to work. So, But there have been great marketing efforts at both of these two um, herbal remedies. So ginkgo and echinacea, not not effective. Not effective. And in, in, I guess there was high hopes there were. There were. I, I used to have a bottle of echinacea until about two years ago when I realized that there weren't any any trials to support its use. Likely doesn't cause any harm that has been seen, but not going to help with your common cold. All right. Um, you know, I'm listening to the radio often. If I'm on an AM station instead of being on my local um, public radio affiliate, WFDD, um, if, I, if, I, if I make I don't want to say make the mistake, but if I get on the AM station, um, then I will hear advertisements for male enhancement products, all natural male enhancement products. <laughs> Do you want to order some of those, uh, Dr. Feldman? Or <laughs> you probably probably should save your money. <laughs> you don't think they work? I don't. I I you know I wouldn't even want to to, to try. <laughs> Who knows what's in those things? I I I think that's a a big no on that. I have no idea what's in those things, like many herbs and supplements. They're not they're not strictly regulated, and the manufacturers can put whatever they want in there. So uh, who knows saying, what you're getting? What, what, but isn't that true of? And I guess that's the the issue I wanted to raise because the FDA mm-hmm. has shown that some of these supposedly all natural male enhancement products have been adulterated with known drugs like Viagra, you know, equivalent drugs um, that are in there. There was a story in dermatology with this spray product, you know, something like a zinc pyrithione spray, the same stuff that's in Head and Shoulders. And they Uh they found that the company had been putting the strongest steroid known to man in the product. And so, 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 yeah, so, I mean, it's conceivable. How do you know for any of these products, um, I mean, it's not like, a reputable company that you could sue like Johnson & Johnson is coming out with these things and you know that they're not going to be adulterated because the company right. has a lot to lose if they did. So 
basically, it seems like you're either getting something unproven or if it does work, it's probably adulterated with perhaps <laughs> a known drug that has known side effects. And mm-hmm. that's, that's true. That's exactly right. You have to be careful about, about your herbs and supplements that you purchase because there are some uh, bad manufacturing practices out there. And one way that a consumer can be sure that the product they're buying contains exactly what's on the label and nothing else is to make sure it is certified by the United States Pharmacopeia, the USP. And that, if if you just turn the bottle over and look, there's a little symbol, USP. You ah. know that what you're getting in there has been standardized and tested. So and that bottle of echinacea you had probably had mm-hmm. that symbol on it? Sure did. Oh. Sure did. And you generally, if you purchase your supplement and herbs in a reputable place such as GNC or, or Whole Foods Food Market, uh, those companies don't buy uh, products that aren't USP certified. Interesting. So, so Chinese if, herbal remedies, are they are those any of those USP certified or you got to worry that, I mean, you hear stories about in China that, yeah, that, that even the you, milk exactly. is, is adulterated, <laughs> you know, with stuff. Especially and, if they're made in China. You know, and, I mean, the Chinese herbal remedy that worked for – some inflammatory disease, you know, if somebody has arthritis or psoriasis and they get put on, they, they take a Chinese herbal remedy that works, you know, almost certainly there would have to be some prednisone or other steroid in there. That it, that it, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that wasn't the case in some of, some of these companies, especially ones made overseas. But, and also if someone goes to a, an herbalist, someone who, who just does that, hangs a shingle outside their door and calls himself an herbalist, and you go to that person who, who knows what, what they're treating you with. So you have to be careful. That's they, definitely for sure. Yeah, they may not even know what they were treating They may not with. even know. <laughs> um, okay. Um, uh, some of the other things I've been hearing about recently, um, some people who I have tremendous respect for talking about healing touch, magnotherapy, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's the story with those? Is that is that akin to acupuncture? Is it something that, um, you know, the, for somebody who likes that sort of thing, there there may mm-hmm. well be benefit. Well, I I think that there might be some benefit for some people. I think what you just described were energy medicine yeah. techniques. Yeah, and so kind of similar to acupuncture in that a- acupuncture has a philosophy that there's an energy or a life force flowing through our body and it gets blocked in certain um, places in our body and that's why we may experience pain. And I think in energy, other energy medicine practices such as um, healing touch or magnet therapy or Reiki, um, it's the same concept that energy forces through the body and when it's blocked or unbalanced, you become sick and don't feel well. So I think, and some of these therapies don't even in, involve actually um, uh, touching the body, but like magnet therapy may or may not touch the body. There might be magnets placed on the body or circled above the body. Healing touch isn't actually touching the body um, either. It's it's directing this energy that it's, the practitioner can sense. It, it sounds like patient. sounds a little like acupuncture light. Yes, exactly. Without the needles. Are the needles yeah. painful or these needles go in there? The needles are very small and they they barely puncture 
the, the epidermis and and are anchored very firmly. And then usually the practitioner will take a, a soft mallet and, and give them a, each a little tap to just secure them. Uh-huh. And sometimes they're actually manipulated by the practitioner, maybe moved at a slight angle or um, tapped a few more times as part of the treatment. And different practitioners do it different ways. There's no set uh, way, but uh, the needles are, are essentially painless going in, barely felt on insertion of the skin. Very good. All right. Dr. Taylor, I, you know, one of the things that I think is critical is that we leave listeners with information about how they can be well-informed. If they want to know more, where can they? Mm-hmm. We, you've talked about a way to find reliable material. Look for the USP symbol. That sounds great. What, where mm-hmm. would you go if you wanted reliable information about CAM? Oh, sure. The, the first stop should be the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. So this is a branch is a, of the National Institutes of Health. That's correct. It sure is. And that website is nccam.nih.gov. And that should be the first place to stop. And on that site, they have a section on where to go for more information, uh, such as the FDA, um, Medline Plus, PubMed, and then they have links to various integrative medicine centers or complementary and alternative medicine centers in the United States. Anything on the NCAM site will be a trusted and reliable uh, source. If, if it's related to the NIH, is it, a, is it a way to find out about research that's happening in this field? Yes. In fact, if you do go onto the homepage, there will be a tab for uh, research, and you can see what the NCAM is uh, sponsoring right now. For instance, the NCAM is, has got several trials relating to yoga right now, hmm. which is exciting since yoga is so popular. But you can see uh, what trials are going on and what uh, trials are about to be completed and what's on the horizon as well. Great. Any other resources? I think another great resource is uh, Dr. Andrew Wiles' website. He is kind of the godfather of integrative medicine in the United States. He is uh, the founder of the Department of Integrative Medicine at the University of Arizona in Tucson, and his website is Dr. Weil, that's W-E-I-L dot com. And he has a, a wonderful website full of reliable information, um, and he has uh, links to some the similar sources as the NCAM site. I also think uh, here in North Carolina, the Wake Forest University Baptist Medical Center Department of Integrative Medicine a website is a very excellent resource as well. That's great. All right. Well, I appreciate the time you spent with us today. Um, do you have Thank any you final thoughts? Me. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners about um, their health or our healthcare system? I think a final thought uh, for me would be for patients to seek out a healthy doctor and look look for a doctor who seems to model what what they preach to you as a patient. Really? And I, you don't I think want, you, you don't want a smoker important. telling you not to smoke. Huh? So definitely look for look for a physician to take care of you who seems to pursue a healthy lifestyle themselves. Very important. 
great. Have you noticed anything about um, doctors today as, as they're coming out of training? Are they different? I think so. I think that the newer generation of doctors are becoming more aware of complementary and alternative of therapies. They're more open to it and more willing to maybe listen to patients uh, who might be trying some of these things and partake in a discussion, whereas maybe some of the older generation of physicians um, is not interested in that um, and doesn't doesn't know much about that or doesn't want to. So I think I think things are changing. I think medical education is changing to incorporate CAM into the curriculum, and I think that's a very good thing because I think Americans are using these therapies and they're going to keep on doing so. Sarah Taylor, uh, thank you so much for being on the program today. Thank you so much for having me. It's become so important for people to take responsibility in their own health care. Responsibility to make sure you've got the right doctor, to follow the doctor's direction, to do those kinds of general healthy lifestyle things, not smoking, regular exercise, healthy diet. I think for those people who want to participate in in, in doing complementary and alternative medical um, treatments, they have to take extra special responsibility. First, as Dr. Taylor pointed out, it's critical to let your um, doctor of traditional medicine know what you're doing with regard to alternative treatments. There may be interactions uh, even if something's all natural, it can easily interact with the things the doctor's prescribing. But also, it, it takes more personal responsibility to make sure that you're dealing with treatments that are trustworthy. Um, if you just, you know, pick up over the Internet some, you know, herbal remedy that promises the sky and actually does something, boy, you... You better be careful because it may well have something in it that uh, you were trying to avoid when you, uh, when the doctor offered it. One of the best ways, I think, to be really well-educated about this is um, to use those resources that Dr. Taylor recommended. I think the uh, National Center for Complementary Alternative Medicine that's part of the NIH is probably an extraordinarily reputable source of information. They're not trying to sell you anything. Um, their email address is www.nccam.nih.gov. That's N as in Nancy, C-C-A-M as in Mary, dot N as in Nancy, I-H, dot gov. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this program. I found speaking with Dr. Taylor to be especially stimulating. I hope you'll join us on our show next week. Our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Until next time, I wish you the best of health. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com. DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare. 